This week, I continue a series on food as I explore the world of plants. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Like I said, this episode is a continuation of a series on food. We've already explored a Catholic worldview. We've asked the simple question, what is food? And then we've started from the ground level with soil. And, and so we're, we're continuing to build from the ground up and we're making our way up the ladder of being. So this week, I want to talk a little bit about plants. What are plants? In the, in the, most, uh, the most practical level, a, a plant is any organic life. Organic life that isn't yet an animal, right? So it might it might move, adjust, grow. It has uh, what Aristotle called a vegetative soul. Um, so it has the the power of of healing, of growth, of digesting nutrients. But on the other hand, it doesn't have the same level of movement, the same level of determination as as an animal does. Uh, in relation to us as humans, plants are sort of the base of the visible food chain meaning it's, it's sort of the most basic thing that we can eat. Now, it's not the base of the actual food chain because there's all kinds of things in the, the microscopic world that are being consumed by plants and, and, other, and other things that we can't see. So let's talk about plants a little bit from a scientific perspective, and then we'll delve into them uh, more deeply from a theological perspective. First, just touching base on what we talked about in the last episode, there's nitrogen fixation. Nitrogen fixation is when plants use the byproducts from microorganisms in the soil, sometimes these are adjacent to the roots, sometimes they actually are drawn up into the roots, and then the plants use these microorganisms to gain nitrogen. There's also mineral absorption that happens up through the soil. So plants are absorbing minerals from, from the, the geological matter in the soil, especially one of the most important ones is magnesium. And then finally, from the air, we have all probably heard of the process of photosynthesis, but not a lot have heard about what's called the Kelvin cycle. And this Kelvin cycle is, you might think of it as the what, what plants do when they breathe air. Like most people know that plants take in carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and then put out oxygen that people can breathe. On the other hand, we as humans, we breathe in that oxygen and use it and then breathe out carbon dioxide. So there's this, this idea that, that plants and humans have this almost like symbiotic relationship with the air, that what we as humans need is the byproducts of what plants breathe out. And then on the other hand, what, what plants need is the byproduct of what humans are breathing out. And, and what's going on inside of the, the plant is called the Kelvin cycle. And the Kelvin cycle is the plant utilizing the carbon from the atmosphere and then eventually turning that carbon into glucose. Glucose, which then we can eat and use as energy as humans, which becomes carbohydrates. So this, this Calvin cycle is this, uh, this beautiful balanced process in the plant of utilizing this carbon in the atmosphere and, and literally turning that into what we can use as energy. But then the byproduct of that process is also something that we as humans need. We need that oxygen to breathe. So, so you see how there's this, this symbiotic, this balanced relationship between plants and humans. 
plants in a real sense upcycle the basic elements from the environment to make them digestible for humans. But but plants aren't uh, from a natural perspective here for us, right? Plants you might say have their own independent teleology. They have their own purpose, their own ends and minds. Plants don't actually want to be eaten. They don't want to be eaten. There are parts of the plants which for the plant's own design want us to digest them. Maybe it's a way for them to to spread their plants through, to spread their seeds through the fecal matter of of animals or, or humans. Or maybe there are other parts of the plants that that aren't essential for their survival. Uh, so there's not as, as much in them that would make them indigestible or poisonous. You know, all plants have some level of what are called anti-nutrients, or you might think of them as, as plant poison. So plants defend themselves through, uh, through various forms of, you might call it chemical warfare, that there are, are substances that the plants will create to make them non-attractive for animals to eat. Some of these anti-nutrients that are in plants are things like, like lectins and oxalates. And um, in, in these, these substances, uh, another example are tannins. So when these substances are sometimes um, consumed by humans in even small quantities, can be indigestible and even poisonous, causing you to, to vomit or have to contact poison control or go to the hospital or something like that. Others of these chemicals, when they're consumed in too great of quantities, can become dangerous for humans. An example of this are are oxalates. So these these oxalates can actually form kidney stones inside of you. And if you eat plants that are super high in oxalates, especially if they're maybe juice, like an example of a plant that's high in oxalates would be something like spinach. So there's a whole craze of of spinach smoothies out there, people using spinach in, in drinks. But what we don't realize is by, by taking in vast quantities of spinach in drinks, you're also consuming higher quantities of oxalates than you would normally get by eating plants, uh, by eating the leaves of the spinach. And these, these, can, uh, these components can accumulate in the body. And everyone's body has a, a, different, uh, a different capacity to filter these components out. Right, so some people might be more susceptible to these oxalates forming kidney stones and other people might not be. But it's something to keep in mind that, that the plants don't want to be eaten and they have these anti-nutrients in them that make them inedible. On the other hand, there's other parts of the plants that, that do want us to eat them. So generally, the fruit of the plant, which is the element of the plant by which it wants to reproduce, it wants to spread, generally the fruit of the plant has less of these anti-nutrients. So think here of, of things like apples and oranges, your typical fruits or things that we don't often think of as fruits, but are technically from the plant's perspective, like avocados or tomatoes. Uh, seeds are another example of, of these kind of fruits, which generally have less of these anti-nutrients. And then th- there are other parts of the plant which we can eat, but probably have a little bit more anti-nutrients in them. Things like leaves and stems, your, your celery stalks or your leaves of lettuce. And all of these things will have, will have some level of these anti-nutrients. Now, a lot of these plants have been, have been used by humans for centuries and, and, and over time have been bred for, for less and less of these anti-nutrients, less and less of these protective elements to make them more suited for human digestion. But what happens on the other hand, what we often find is that when these, uh, these 
protective uh, things are bred out of the plants, then they're also more vulnerable to other things eating them. So the plants become more susceptible to, to parasites and to bugs, and then also more attractive to animals. Like just try to grow a garden in your backyard. And what you'll find is amongst all the plants in your backyard, that garden is going to be targeted by the insects that are going to eat the leaves and then targeted by animals that are coming, going to come up and, and chomp on those plants. Because we've, we've used these plants century after century and, and bred them in such a way to make them more nutritious. So if we humans can eat them, then all of the other animals in nature can eat them too. So they're going to become super attractive for all of those other animals. A big part of human society is the processing of food. We as humans will go through processes to make this food more digestible, to release the nutrients in them in, in more, uh, more rich ways, or to even make them digestible in the first place. You know, there are, uh, we believe that there were, were tribes of native peoples in the United States that never developed agriculture. And the reason they never developed agriculture was one of the theories is that they had an abundance of nutrients available to them from nature. So they never had to not be hunter-gatherers. And one of these nutrients that were used by some tribes were actually acorns. Acorns, which we know our, our squirrel friends love, but most humans don't see acorns as edible things. These acorns are, are heavily uh, full of the anti-nutrient of tannins. And these tannins will, will make you sick if you eat them. But by processes of soaking the nuts and acorns, you could either use hot water or use cold water in a slower process, and you can slowly remove those tannins out of the acorn, and then they become like a nut that can be roasted and ate, or they could be ground up into like a flour substance that could be then used to make bread or, or other things like that. Right? So there are whole tribes of, of people here in the United States that were able to utilize what nature was given them and then have different processes to remove the anti-nutrients, make them more digestible, and then make the, the nutrients in the food even then more bioavailable, meaning the, the body being able to digest it and utilize it even more fully. The most common process we use for this kind of processing is cooking. Right? We cook things, we grind them up. Sometimes we, we soak them, we boil them. But all these different processes we do to make our food more edible. All right, so that's a quick, basic introduction to plants as food, how the plants bring up uh, nutrients from the, the environment to make them available for humans to eat, the fact that the, the plants have their own ends. So they're a mix of nutrients that we can't eat and anti-nutrients that are trying to get us not to eat them. And then we go through these, these different processes as, hu as humans to make the plants more digestible, more available for our nutrition. Now let's shift gears and talk about it from a theological perspective. From the very beginning, God gave humans plants to eat. And we see this in the story of the Garden of Eden, right? God plants all of these plants in the garden and invites us to eat them. This is what our Lord says in Genesis 2. Out of the ground, the Lord made grow every tree that was delightful to look at and good for food. With the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God made this variety of trees and specifically, what part of a tree do we eat? We eat the fruit of the tree, right? Which would be that part that, that's sort of the most digestible, the part that the plant wants us to eat, the part that it's putting out there for its propagation and not going to take its life away. But there are these two special trees in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. 
Adam and Eve could eat freely from the tree of life, but were restricted by God from eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We all know the story then in the next chapter of Genesis that Adam and Eve, they do sin by eating that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, they, they, they believe the lie of the enemy that God doesn't love them, that God doesn't want them to be like him, even though God created them in his own image and likeness. And, and they took the knowledge of good and evil for themselves, wanting to determine what's good and evil for themselves. And in that then, they were cast out of the garden. And in being cast out of the garden, they were then also no longer able to eat from the tree of life. And then part of the curse was the need to toil for the food they would eat. Right? So there's this, this allusion to agriculture. Some people who take a naturalistic interpretation of the scripture, I mean, they don't really think the scripture is God's revelation, make a claim that, that there's this sort of collective sense of, of an Edenic period in human existence where we were hunter-gatherers. And they see the expression of this life in the garden as this, this sort of collective uh, longing for that life as a hunter-gatherer again. Now, we as Catholics, of course, might be able to hold on to that understanding that there might have been that, that instinct in humanity, but we also believe that this story is revelation from God. And so now leaving the garden, the chosen people are, are having to engage in agriculture. They're going to have to toil for the food they're going to eat. If we look at the prophecies in the Old Testament leading up to Christ's coming, there's some really interesting uh, items in there about this, almost like a restoration to Eden, right? A restoration uh, to this land flowing uh, with water, this growth of the trees, and the restoration of the tree of life. This is from the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 47. He says, I saw along the bank of the river a great many trees on each side. And he said to me, this water flows out into the eastern district, runs down into the uh, into air." Arabah, and empties into the polluted waters of the sea to freshen them. Wherever it flows, the river teems with every kind of living creature. Fish will abound. So we have here this image of this river flowing through the land and this diversity of trees growing up and that the river is teeming with life. Then uh, he goes on in, in verse 12, he says, Along each bank of the river, every kind of fruit tree will grow. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fresh fruit because the waters of the river flow out from the sanctuary. Their fruit is used for food and their leaves for healing. So, so there's this, this idea here that since the water is so rich coming out from where? From the sanctuary, from the Lord's presence, that fruit will be available on the tree every month. In, in a sense, they can re return to this sort of hunter-gatherer state, they can return to this place of being wholly reliant on God for their sustenance. Then we go on and look at the New Testament. And now in the New Testament, when Jesus is talking and, and says very interesting things, like Jesus is, is interacting with the Samaritan woman, and what he says to her is, is I have living waters. Right? I want to give you living waters. What's he referring to? He's, he's making allusion to this image from the prophet Ezekiel of these living waters, this, this water that's, that's teeming with life, that you will drink and not grow thirsty. It will be sustained. It's coming out from the sanctuary. It's coming from the divine presence. When the apostles asked Jesus about 
about food at one point, what Jesus says is, I have food which you do not know, right? He has a food which the apostles don't know about. He's being provided for directly from the sanctuary. And then finally, Jesus dies on a tree. He dies on the cross. And from his side flows out what blood and water. And this is all connected in the narrative to the Last Supper of of Jesus providing his own self for food for his people. And this whole illusion in, in the Jewish frame is tied up in the Passover where God provides for his people manna from the desert. Well, Jesus identifies himself as the new manna. And on the cross, he pours out his life on this new tree. And the early church understood this tree as the new tree of life. The cross is the new tree of life. Where I did my graduate studies at St. Meinrad, in the Arch Abbey, there's a beautiful window. And I'll try to add a picture to the show notes if I can. At the base of the window is Adam and Eve in the garden, and there's a tree growing up. And then the, the top half of the window, that tree becomes the cross. And Jesus is there on the cross. And so this art is making a beautiful allusion to this connection to the tree of life and the cross of Jesus. This is what the the book of Revelation has to say about this in chapter 22. It says, "On, On either side of the river grew the tree of life that produces fruit 12 times a year. Remember Ezekiel, the fruit coming every month, once each month. Revelation goes on and says, the leaves of the tree serve as medicine for the nations. And then in verse 19, it says, if anyone takes away from the words of this prophetic book, God will take away his share of the tree of life in the holy city described in this book. Right? So there's this this connection here of this new tree of life being built up in the city of God in this vision of the book of Revelation. All right, so now let's draw this whole theme together of this idea that God originally gave us these trees for food in the garden. This this, uh, receiving food from God's sanctuary was, was taken as a result of sin, as a consequence of sin. But then this is now being restored to us. And this is prefigured in the Eucharist, right? That the fruit of this tree will be food to sustain us, and the leaves of this tree will be medicine to heal us. And then ultimately will be fulfilled in the book of Revelation, in the new heavens, in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, where the tree of life will grow once again, and we can eat from its abundance. So, so we as Catholics have the opportunity every time, every time we're at Mass, and we're disposed, and we're in a state of grace, we can receive our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist and be, be sustained in the spiritual life flowing out from the sanctuary. And by this, the Eucharist is both healing us, restoring our broken human nature, but also giving us divine life. It, it's a work of, of God making us more like him, a work of divinization. So you see in these, these images the scripture invites us into, how the, the Lord's providing for us, by the plants that are given to us. But this, is, this image is taken up into a higher pitch, into a theological dimension, into a spiritual dimension. And in that dimension, we see how the Lord is feeding us. Uh, this image of, of receiving the fruit of the tree of life, I think, goes hand in hand with another image that Jesus uses with plants. 
the image of the vine and the branches. In John chapter 15, our Lord says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and every one that does he prunes so that it bears more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Because without me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into a fire and they will be burned. So this idea of the vine and the branches from the the Gospel of John, as I read this in Jesus's um, almost like kind of repeating himself, I am the vine, you are the branches, stay connected to me, we will receive fruit, you will be pruned. I hope uh, that even the structure of this quote will remind you of John chapter 6, which is the bread of life discourse, where Jesus enters into it like a very similar kind of a repetition of making his point, of applying this image again and again, I am the bread of life, if you do not eat of me, you will not have life, etc., etc., uh, so, so think of this, uh, going back to our understanding of plants, that the fruit of the plant is the most digestible part of it. And on the other hand, the parts of the plant that, that, don't, that the plant doesn't want us to eat are full of these anti-nutrients that make it indigestible. If we apply this understanding of nature to this image of the vine and the branches, right, it, it can illuminate sort of our role in the kingdom, our role of spreading the, the, this fruit from the tree of life, right? Jesus is the, is the stalk. He's the trunk, so to speak. We're the branches coming off the trunk. And from the branches, the branches are meant to bear fruit. Meaning that's through us, it's through his people, through his followers, that Jesus intends to then spread his word, to spread the gospel to others. We are to bear the fruit. So it's through us, in a sense, that Jesus becomes digestible to others. It's through our lives, through the witness of our faith, through us living the gospel, that we make Jesus, in a sense, in the fruit, our lives are a way that others can digest our Lord. And then by receiving us, then, God willing, they're drawn into the church and receive the living waters at baptism, and then are made capable of receiving the new fruit of the tree of life from the cross and the Eucharist. So you see, if we we draw these images up into our life of faith, uh, there's this beautiful tapestry the Lord is using from the natural world, from an understanding of plants, to then talk about how we are to, to provide this new food from the sanctuary to the world. So I want to leave you with this today, this, this reflection um, that, that we're eating from the tree of life in the Eucharist, and this heals us and gives us divine life, but also grafts us on to Jesus as the trunk. And then we're called by living a life that's, that's compatible with our faith, living a life in a rich community of faith, living a life where we're seeking holiness and wholeness, to then bear fruit into the world, And we become that which the world can digest, Jesus with skin on, 
Jesus that the world can receive, to then draw others into the church to receive the living waters of baptism and the new fruit of the tree of life in the Eucharist too. And we have this kind of cycle, the cycle of the propagation of the faith being like a plant growing. So I hope you continue on with us as we go through this series on food, on physically spiritual. We've talked now about about what food is. We've talked about soil. We've talked about plants. Next up, we're going to talk about animals. Then we're going to talk about humans from three perspectives, from the, the, the perspective of appetite, what draws us to food, from the process of digestion, how we process food. Then we're going to start talking then about diet, how we construct uh, a way of eating that, that truly fits our nature. Then from there, we're going to launch into the theology of food and go even deeper into our understanding of the Eucharist. So I hope you join me as we continue to dive deep into food on Physically Spiritual. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share, and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awakened Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.